Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is the Self-Care Summer Series. I'm loving everything that's happening. What a great time it's been so far. We've talked about drinking water and cooking and exercise. I've had so many people reach out about those episodes, and it's been really fulfilling to know that some of this is getting through to people on a level that can actually like help them improve um, you know, their overall well-being. So it's, it's, it's inspiring. It really is. And this episode's going to be a little different because it's just me, but uh, we'll be back to experts and interviews next week. But we still have so many good topics coming up too, including meditation, sleep, digital detoxing, financial management, and more. I got a bunch of different experts lined up, um, you know, former guests as well as new folks in their field. This week, though, we're tackling something a little more personal to me, and the timing is not a coincidence, but I'll get into that more shortly. This week, for the self-care summer episode, we are discussing alcohol. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Okay, I think right off the bat, we need to gain some clarification about why alcohol is a subject being discussed in a self-care series. So if you came here for some sweet confirmation bias to hear me say that in all of my peer-reviewed research, I found that drinking a glass of wine when you're stressed out is actually good for you. I have some terrible news for you. Uh, Fear not, though. I am also not here to tell you to quit drinking and get sober either. Alcohol plays a funny role in our society and in our daily lives, and there's a lot to say about it and where it lives in relation to self-care, self-regulation, and overall imagery. It should be noted that even seeing that this was going to be a topic may have given you some anxiety. A lot of people feel like they are about to be attacked if alcohol comes up in any context around how much or how often we consume it. If you're one of those people and you feel that slight tenseness right now, take note of that. Ask yourself why. When topics bring the feeling of anxiety or make you tense up somewhere in your body, that's usually a sign that there may be some work to be done. Again, and I will continue to repeat this throughout the episode, I'm not telling you or anyone to quit drinking. Sobriety is a decision that people have to come to on their own. I may challenge your beliefs a little bit, you know, about the amount of drinking that's acceptable, um, but I'm not going to tell you to just quit drinking. That's silly. That is, however, what I did. And I wanted to start there. For those longtime listeners of the podcast, you may have caught on to the fact that I do an annual episode on alcohol just to check in with myself and see how I'm feeling about sobriety and drinking and how my mindset has changed over time. It's actually been very interesting to reflect on this because it really does constantly evolve. And for those who prefer the term recovery, You may not know, or you may know, that people aren't considered in long-term recovery until they've been sober for over 10 years. And the longer I'm sober, the more that makes sense. The constant evolution of how I think about alcohol and sobriety reinforced the fact that these thoughts and feelings are always changing and being challenged, and I like to check in and see where I'm at. So with that, I guess, uh, where am I at? (laughs) All right. So first things first, if you're hearing this, then I just celebrated three years of no drinking. Um, I immediately want to say it's crazy to think about the fact that I haven't drank in three years, but if I'm being honest, it's not. You know, like anything else over time, it just becomes normal. 
I really don't think about it. Erica, my wife, likely thinks about it more than I do. This actually came up recently and it was pretty funny. Um, so I hate going to restaurants that don't have any good vegetarian options because my wife is a vegetarian and it sucks to go out to eat where her only options are like a side salad and a plate of fries. She constantly reassures me that this is fine and doesn't want me to worry about it. But on the flip side, it has now become like a regular thing for her to skip over a place that doesn't have good NA beer options. And I, I laugh about it. I think it's hilarious. And I tell her the same thing she tells me. Uh, you know, it's fine. It's really funny, though, because I like non-alcoholic beer, but I also like water and the occasional Coca-Cola and like LaCroix. <laughs> There's other things. Um but as far as not drinking, though, the biggest thing I've learned in the last year is how different sobriety looks for different people. I started the last year of sobriety neck deep in a sober community of people on an app called Clubhouse. Some of you are probably listening right now. But literally every day I was either participating in or running a group or meeting on sobriety. It didn't feel right for me, though. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want to drink or anything, but I didn't feel like I had to talk about being sober every day. Like I said, it, it was just normal. I wasn't looking to brand myself as sober and make it part of my identity, and I feel even stronger about that today. I'm always happy to make NA beer recommendations and happy to help and talk with anyone that may be having like that hard talk with themselves about their own intake of alcohol, but I'm not looking to start a company to help people get sober, and that's okay. Um, everyone's path down the sober road is different, you know? Not everyone is a white-knuckled, dry drunk and the severity at which each person struggles to be sober is different in each person. Anyone who tells you that there's a one-size-fits-all map for getting sober is straight up lying to you. Sorry, sober community. It's just not true. Some people get sober in the hospital when their doctors tell them that if they keep drinking, they will die. And some people get sober on their own accord after one too many blackout nights. And some people go from a couple glasses of wine a week to no longer drinking at all. Those people are still sober. And are they any less sober than me? No, but we, we all got here in very different ways and with very different dependencies and levels of addiction. Speaking of addiction, and this is the last thing I will touch on before diving deeper into the self-care aspect, addiction is a broad term that covers a lot of stuff. I've suffered from severe behavioral addictions and a mild alcohol addiction. I may even argue that my alcohol dependency was more related to behavioral addiction than actual substance addiction. And when I think about the behavioral addictions, um, those are behaviors I can now participate in with moderation and little to no concern of addiction or relapse. You know, I went to therapy and did the work and I tore through to the root of what those behavioral dependencies were all about, you know, whether it was intimacy or validation or any number of things that I have worked out over the years. That said, I don't think the same thing applies to drinking. Even if I were to decide it was more behavioral than chemical and apply the same principles to alcohol that someone might apply to video games, gambling, sex, or any other behavioral addiction, and I decide, oh, I can drink in moderation now. That's not true. <laughs> as soon as I have that first drink, there's a chemical change in how my rationalized brain is put together. And regardless of the therapy work I've done, something else is making that decision at that point. So while I may be able to trust my sober brain to decide... I can just have one drink. I absolutely cannot rely on my one drink brain to decide I won't have another. It is a slippery slope, people, and that's why I'm still sober, and that's why I'm very happy about that decision and realization.
let's move into the world of self-care now. I'll throw a magnifying lens on exactly where alcohol fits into this equation. So when it comes to self-care, there's a lot of bullshit about unwinding with a glass of wine or adding alcohol into what may otherwise be a pretty decent self-care routine. And like I mentioned earlier, if this is making you feel attacked in some way, that's worth looking into for yourself. But the truth of the matter is, there is nothing about alcohol that is helping you care for yourself. Alcohol is not self-care, in no capacity. In fact, if you're using alcohol to self-regulate when you're feeling overwhelmed, as we learned in our episode about water, drinking a glass of water can actually help you self-regulate more than a glass of wine can. Now, in my experience, many of you may be saying something along the lines of, Justin, studies show that drinking a glass of wine, blah, blah, blah. And to you, I would caution, again, try to be aware of your confirmation bias. If there's anything that the last five or six years have taught us about the internet and misinformation, it's that if you're looking for supporting evidence on something, you will find it. It doesn't make it right. Think about it like this. If I make a drink with blueberry puree and vodka, it is true that the blueberries have amazing antioxidant properties, and you could even argue that drinking this blueberry vodka smoothie once a week is good for you because of the blueberries. But that completely negates the bad part, right? You're still drinking vodka. You could, you could just eat the blueberries instead. So when you read the half-assed researched articles about how a glass of wine has antioxidant properties or whatever else they're claiming, like heart health, don't get me started, uh, We'll get into that shortly, but try, ask yourself, where else could you get these beneficial properties that don't also include alcohol? So I feel like it's important to keep reminding you that I'm not telling anyone to quit drinking. That is not what this is about, but like anything else you put in your body, fatty foods, medication, I'm just asking you to take stock and add a level of awareness to what you're putting in. Because as a society and as a culture, we are programmed not to think about it. From long before you were born and likely until long after you're gone, alcohol has been and will be an ingrained part of society. It shows up everywhere and it's part of everything. Alcohol is a key player in holiday gatherings, most dinner menus, even entire seasons as a whole. Like, okay, so right now it's summer, right? Uh, summer can conjure up a lot of visuals and in many of those things, alcohol is likely present. Beach days, barbecues, camping, picnics, graduations, poolside. It's not something we give any thought to, but it's always there. And depending on the crowd that you're doing these things with, you may even be more likely to find a cold beer than a bottle of water. It's just normal. And that right there, I think, is where we need to start. Drinking alcohol as a normal behavior is a difficult obstacle when you're evaluating alcohol intake. It's hard to figure out what a baseline is when there's no good example of a baseline around you. This is where a self-evaluation comes into play. You have to trust yourself to do an evaluation, and in order to trust yourself, you have to be honest with yourself. That means that you not only ask yourself the hard questions, but you answer them too. In doing this, you may want to anticipate some form of rationalization as well. For instance, when focusing on the amount you drink in a specific instance, it might be a natural reaction to defend that to yourself. Like if you drink five beers out of a six pack, you may immediately want to tell yourself, it was a party, or we just won the game, or it was a crazy work week. But try to fight that urge to provide context to a negative behavior in order to rationalize why it was okay. I want to repeat that because it's so important. Try to fight the urge to provide context to a negative behavior in order to rationalize why you think it was okay. 
The truth is that drinking five drinks, AKA five beers from a six pack is binge drinking. That number drops to four drinks. If you're a woman, when was the last time you drank four white claws or finished a six pack? It's so much less than we usually think of when we think about binge drinking. And part of that is what society has told us about binge drinking. You know, we relate it to college and young people and blacking out, but by definition, Binge drinking is five drinks for men and four drinks for women, regardless of your age or your garnered wisdom. This is important information to know because of the wellness and health risks that come along with binge drinking. Multiple peer-reviewed health journals, including the Journal of Drug and Alcohol Dependence, the Journal Liver International, and the American Journal of Epidemiology, and this is tip of the iceberg, there's millions of them out there, all cite the risks of binge drinking as insomnia, lower overall health quality of life, increased risk of liver disease, increased risk of cancer, heart disease, and overall cardiovascular deaths. Outside of your bodily health, those who binge drink are more likely to become unintentionally injured, use drugs, and drive drunk. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a voice in my head that says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like in some way, we've been hearing this shit forever, right? Like it... Isn't it just common knowledge that alcohol use leads to liver disease, heart disease, cancer? It's funny, too, because over the last century or even the last few decades, the knowledge we've gained about the damaging effects of alcohol, both in the short term and long term, are astounding. And yet, as a society, there is no change. Isn't that a little fucked up? Like, pardon the language, but when science was like, hey, guys, check out all this stuff about cigarettes... We slowly and like begrudgingly silenced the lobbyists and began to make sweeping changes in the tobacco industry. Uh, younger people probably don't even realize the restrictions we have on advertising tobacco products. Back in the 70s and 80s, that stuff was everywhere. I mean, fuck man, Fred Flintstone was a spokesman for Winston cigarettes. Can you like even put that in your brain right now? That's crazy. I was about to reference a modern cartoon character, but I don't know who that would be. <laughs> But now, though, you know, after we've learned how terrible they are for you, we have a lot of limitations in place in advertising, and there's a pretty straightforward warning label on cigarettes. Alcohol, though, doesn't get any of it. You know, no advertising restrictions, no warning labels. I mean, no warning labels that really mean anything, right? Don't drink while pregnant and don't drive drunk. That's the best they can tell us. There's no label that tells the drinker that the beverage they are about to consume is known to cause liver damage liver disease, cancer, and fatal cardiovascular events. This is an example of what I mean when I'm talking about society being to blame some. This is also what makes it hard to give ourselves a self-assessment. If I'm the only voice in your life informing you about the risks of alcohol, that's pretty inefficient, and I'm told I have a voice you can probably ignore if you want. At least that's what all my exes said. But all of this is just food for thought, right? Like, if you're going to be honest with yourself and give a self-assessment, it's important that you have all the facts. Okay, let's take a breather, see what uh, kind of alternatives we have out there. The pandemic forced a lot of us to face some pretty harsh realities, most of which were already right in front of us, right? The isolation of the pandemic made a lot of people not only evaluate how much they were drinking, but perhaps more importantly, why they were drinking so much. Now, this resulted in some pretty eye-opening statistics. Let's go over some numbers. As many of you know, I am pretty present in the NA beer space. I love hops. It was important to me that I could still have an IPA when I wanted one after I quit drinking. Um, and same goes, you know, for stout, lager, sour, pale, etc. 
And luckily for me, even though the NA beer market was already growing before the pandemic, over the last two years, the NA beer sales grew by 32%. On top of that, non-alcoholic beer captured 67% more market share in that same time period. That's nuts. Breweries all over the country have noticed this market rising and have begun to offer NA beers alongside the regular beers. Brewdog, um, out of, I don't know, technically like Scotland, but out of Columbus, they have a brewery in Indianapolis, but they were one of the first ones to do this and embrace it wholeheartedly. You know, even opening up a sober bar in England that has dozens, yes, dozens of non-alcoholic beer taps. This is another reason I need to go to England. Anyway, um, NA beers are not the only category of growth in the non-alcoholic space. Mocktails and alcohol-free spirits have risen exponentially with new companies, new offerings popping up constantly. You can enjoy everything from a rum and coke to a margarita to a mojito, all without the alcohol, but not without anything else. The flavor's all still there. Some companies like Ritual have actually used pepper infusion to still simulate that alcohol burn. It's mild, but it's just enough to like fit right in there as part of the right drink. I also want to address the misconception that things have to be black and white. Like you either drink or you don't. I may not drink, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't. I mean, truthfully, I don't think anyone should, but I'm also a big fan of, you know, personal freedoms and the ability of people to make their own decisions within the walls of ethics and law, but those don't always provide the same walls, but that's another podcast. Many of my friends have NA beers on hand to mix in between the regular beers. You know, if you know you're going to drink a six pack purely out of habit, then have three non-alcoholic beers in the mix there. It's a great tool for self-regulation. Try it out. In fact, you know what? If you want to try it out, this seems like a pretty good spot to drop a couple of my sponsors. And this podcast is sponsored by Bravis Brewing and Wellbeing Brewing. Both of these breweries exclusively make non-alcoholic beers, and each of them have their strengths. So if you're a fan of IPAs and Ambers, um, I would definitely point you to Wellbeing Brewing. Their intentional IPA is a hefty 16-ounce can, delicious, full of hops, always in my regular rotation. They actually just have a tropical IPA they just put out, also in a 16-ounce can. I don't know why I like the can size so much. But if you're a fan of dark beers, um, Bravis Brewing has a couple stouts, Oatmeal Dark and Peanut Butter Dark, that are great placeholders for traditional stouts, especially the peanut butter one. Mm. So if you head over to wellbeingbrewing.com or bravisbrewing.com and use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout, you can save 10%. And I'll throw that info in the show notes for you. But seriously, it is a great way to mix in some delicious NAs and keep yourself in check if keeping your drinking in check is something you sometimes struggle with. Okay, let's wrap this up and recap some of the things we learned. Not the least of which is how self-care intersects with alcohol. So taking control of what you put in your body is a huge part of self-care and considering alcohol is recognized by the body as poison, that isn't a bad place to start. Your liver gets rid of the toxins you put in your body. So really it may be worth it to think about any food or drink that your liver has to do extra work on, including sugars and fats. And a quick note about the liver in today's society, having a mildly fatty liver is almost expected of the general population at this point by medical professionals. So doesn't that say a lot about what we're doing as a society? When I got diagnosed with my autoimmune disease, they had to do a liver test before they put me on a prescription because the prescription is really hard on the liver. And they said, oh, you have a like mildly fatty liver. And I was like, oh my God. They're like, oh no, pretty much everybody does now. 
are you fucking kidding me? And we just like accept that because that's because we live in a, a drunken McDonald's society. How fucked is that? Sorry, high horse. What else did we learn? Uh, not everyone has a drinking problem. Things aren't black and white, though. You know, you don't necessarily have to have a drinking problem to reassess how much you're drinking. And if you find in that assessment that you maybe do drink too much, then you can start diving into why you do and how you can change that. Also, on the note of extremes and black and white thinking, please remove the word alcoholic from your vocabulary. In fact, you know, even though I've said it numerous times, people don't really say drinking problem anymore either. It's more clear and straightforward and just called an alcohol use disorder or AUD. The stigma associated with terminology of alcoholic and drinking problem is actually working as a preventative measure from people seeking help and managing their drinking. So just forget those words. Okay, cool. Finally, remember that alcohol is fun, but it's so stupid. <laughs> a lot of people drink just to get drunk. That's like taking pain pills just to get high and possibly more stupid since withdrawal symptoms from alcohol can literally kill you. They're actually the only substance withdrawal symptoms that can kill you. Isn't that messed up? Like in that way, it's worse than opioids and cocaine and any other drug that we stigmatize more than alcohol. Cause it, <laughs> you can have withdrawal from like heroin and it's gonna suck, don't get me wrong. But if you have withdrawal from heroin, you don't die. If you have withdrawal from alcohol, you can literally die. It's the only one. So remember to be honest with yourself in this self-assessment and be prepared to rationalize an answer that feels icky. You know, be open-minded and ready to change if need be. No amount of alcohol is safe to drink. Please, if you take nothing else away from this, keep that in the back of your head. No amount of alcohol is safe to drink. Even one drink increases your risk of cancer. So maybe write that on a piece of scotch tape and put it on the side of your bottle since the government refuses to do that for you. Be your own advocate and be educated about what you put in your body, especially if it's toxic. If you get to this point and there's something in your head that's saying, everything gives me cancer, so might as well, you know, do what's fun or something along those lines, take that little sentence. And I don't know, if you're in therapy, tell your therapist you said that and break that down because that's, that's a red flag. Thank you to all of the studies out there that help us better understand the risks of alcohol. Special thanks to Erica, my wife, for being such an awesome force of encouragement and support over the last three years. Thank you to Talia Dalton for the theme music, and thank you to all of you for listening. We'll be back to uh, contributors and specific topics next week, but I want to say thank you to Bravis Brewing and Wellbeing Brewing for their ongoing support, and most of all, thank you to all the Patreons out there, new patron John and Faustine. If you want to join the community of people that keep this show afloat, head over to patreon.com slash friendrequestpod. It's only about a dollar a month and gets you some cool exclusive content, but most of all, it keeps this show going, so thank you for that. And I will talk to you guys next week. I love you. Feel free to reach out. I know this topic usually brings a lot of things into my inbox. Uh, I'm happy to discuss, uh, brainstorm, or, you know, just take a verbal beating from you if you disagree. So either way, uh, I would love to talk to you guys, and I always enjoy our back and forth. Thank you. I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.